settling into the posture, settling into the body. And beginning with the breathing, once again, being with this good companion, this good friend, the breath. Devoting our full, complete attention to the in-breath, devoting our full and complete and loving attention to the out-breath. Steadying the mind, steadying the heart on the breathing. Allowing the mind to slow down to the pace, to the rhythm of the breath. Just this in-breath, just this out-breath. the field of awareness if the mind feels quiet to any degree at all for those of you who are new if you'd like to experiment with this expansion of the practice. And if you'd like to continue and stay with just the breathing, this is fine and good. It's not at all a waste of time to continue with the practice of being in a very simple and uncomplicated way with the sensations of breathing. To experiment with expanding field of attention to include all objects in our world means to continue to be with the breathing when you find the mind elsewhere it's not a case of looking for something else other than breath to pay attention to It's when you find that the mind 
is engaged with something other than breathing, has gone to a sound, a thought, a sensation in the body, an image, a smell, to sustain the attention on that image or sensation or sound or emotion or feeling, bringing the breath into the experience with you. So breathing in and breathing out and knowing a sensation is occurring in the knee, for example. Breathing in and breathing out, being aware that a sound is occurring. Without deciding, without choosing what to pay attention to, the universe decides for us as various subjects arise connecting with whatever it is that's occurring. Connecting with sound, connecting with images, connecting with feelings, with emotions. neither pushing anything away as being unacceptable, nor hanging on to anything, clinging to anything, adding to anything through description, through a story about what's happening, without identifying with anything as I, as mine, allowing the universe to reveal itself. It will. It is. Sensing, connecting with whatever it is that arises while breathing in, while breathing out. So when planning occurs, if planning does occur, or any sense of excitement or ideas about what's going to happen, um, just to try not to nurture these thoughts and to go underneath the thought, to dwell in the silence, in the sense of ease, underneath thinking. walking period will be next.
short time from now. Hooray! <laughs> it's so nice to have this work. <clears throat> It'll be time to go home and to do the same practice in a different way. The practice very much needs to be brought into the world. It needs to be brought into relationship. And it's no different. It's the same principles as it is here in this setting. The only difference is that here it's quiet, um, it's simplified situation. There's not much demanded of us. In fact, there's very little demanded of us. And in relationship, there's the necessity to respond. There's the necessity to speak, which is very different than it is here. But the main principle is the same. And this principle is be mindful, be awake, look with sensitivity, look with care, stay present, stay in the moment, don't get lost in the past. Don't spend life thinking about what's going to happen in the future. Stay here. Stay awake. Stay present. A big difference between being here on retreat and being in relationship has to do with speech. And there are four basic guidelines that the Buddha gave that can help quite a bit in this area. And perhaps for all of us, there's one area within the area of speech that can be looked at that isn't really refined enough at this point. The first is the area of speaking the truth, which means not speaking non-truths, but also means looking at exaggeration, looking at whenever the truth is shaded in one direction or the other, exaggeration or understating. So this is the first of these guidelines around speech. The second of the guidelines has to do with speaking in a non-divisive way, in a way that brings people together brings communities, families together, rather than speaking in a way that divides. Um, and often what is spoken about in this guideline is when there is talk about one person, when two people or more are getting together talking about another person, what's called slander. So looking at this area of speech, of, of um, divisiveness, and looking at how our speech can be benign and can be harmonious and how, how wonderful that makes us feel, that makes everyone feel when we do work with this guideline. The third guideline has to do with speech that is gentle rather than harsh. This basically has to do with the tone quality of the voice. Sometimes one can say something quite sweet and it can be in a harsh tone and it can't be heard. So looking at the tone quality of how things are being said. And the fourth is speech that is useful. Um, not trying to fill up space through speech or avoid 
feelings of awkwardness or being uncomfortable by using speech to get away from what's really happening. This one tends to mean being honest and honesty. Doesn't really have much to do with content because one can say something that doesn't seem very useful content-wise and, and say something quite profound through it. But um, it does have to be mean being honest with what's happening within. All these guidelines um, draw us into a more authentic way of being with ourselves, a happier way of living with ourselves and happier way of living with other people. Integrity, um, the precepts, are really the foundation of the practice. They really support both shamatha, calmness, and wisdom, panya. Um, integrity is really the ground under which concentration and wisdom rest. Now that you've sat, for those of you who are new, now that you sat all day yesterday and some on Friday and some today, it may seem like it'll be easy to go home and, and sit every day. And it's usually not. Um, life has a way of intruding, and anything thing seems um, easier to do than to find time to sit each day. So we suggest that you find one time each day to sit, to set a particular time to sit each day, rather than having good intentions and um, just never getting around to it. And it is sometimes helpful to um, sit for the same amount of time, to set yourself a timer kind of thing, so you can relax within that time, let go within that time, and just be with whatever it is that's arising in a very open and non-striving way. Um, one wants to not have ideas about what should be happening in one sitting, and to trust that there's a certain earnestness in just sitting in the posture itself, just bringing yourself to the cushion and sitting down shows a certain earnestness. And there's great power in earnestness. There's great power. So whatever it is that happens, even if the mind is in California, if you're in California, good. But if you're, <laughs> if you're in Cambridge and the mind is in California, it's okay. It's all right. It's the earnestness of sitting and the intention to bring the mind back over and over and over again in a fresh way. Beginner's mind over and over again. First moment of practice. First moment of practice. It's really important to remember this because it is easy to feel frustrated and is feel like nothing is happening. When you can know something is happening, one is devoting oneself to the path. One is going in the right direction and something is happening. Out of the sitting posture, which of course is most of the time for most of us, remembering that what we are carrying with us all the time is the posture, either sitting casually or walking or standing, and, or lying down, 
and the breathing, and that it's possible in any moment to go to the breath. It's possible in any moment to recall the posture, to feel the posture. One is standing washing the dishes. Standing. Standing is occurring. Um, One is walking down the street. Walking is occurring. Breath is happening. One is listening to someone. Breathing can be happening as well as listening. So it's a very, very um, helpful aspect of life to remember that the breath is a constant companion, that some posture or another is a constant companion, and that every time one remembers to be with the breathing or to be with the posture, it's not a kind of thing of I am being present or what should I pay attention to right now and then getting confused. The breath is always there, always accessible. The posture is always there, always accessible. And every time one is with the posture or with the breathing, presentness is happening in a very easy way. Presentness is happening. And we're nurturing wakefulness. It can be helpful to take on a mindfulness activity, something like brushing your teeth or taking a shower or Um, if you wash the dishes every day, washing the dishes. Um, Some mindfulness activity, something that you do every day anyway, not something that you have to create. It could even just be putting on your seatbelt. Something that's simple, uncomplicated, that you do every day. And to take it on as a mindfulness exercise, meaning that before you move into the activity, having the intention to be awake, having the intention to be mindful, and then doing whatever it is in a full way, with one's full attention. Not intending to plan the dinner that evening, not daydreaming, not thinking about the problems that need to be resolved, but just brushing the teeth or just taking a shower, just doing whatever it is that we're doing. And of course, we want to bring this into this fullness of attention, into every moment and into every activity. And it is very helpful to break it down and just choose one, not to be too ambitious about it, but to just choose one. And if you do that every day, the practice will grow. If you choose one activity and are mindful in a devoted way every day, the practice will grow. If you have time to slow things down, at all in terms of basic chores that one needs to do. That's also a helpful thing. Um, Some of us do, some of us don't. But instead of trying to fly through things to get them done, it can be helpful if you can fold the laundry slowly or whatever it is, um, to just take your time and enjoy the activity. We have so much of a mindset about this is enjoyable and this I just have to get done. And a lot of our life we miss because of a lot of our life consists of things we just need to get done. So to bring life into all of our activities, whatever they may be, um, just enriches our life that much more. I don't know if, um, for those of you who are, are new, if you enjoyed the eating meditation and eating alone, sometimes it can be quite a nice thing. Um, or a different experience. Um, 
If you can during the week, that's also a, a hint or a suggestion to eat one meal by yourself in silence once a week or once a day or whatever. Um, and to really be mindful while you're eating, to slow down the process and to take your time and to really be mindful in the process of eating. And when that can't happen, and if that can't happen, our practice is always to be flexible and to be with what's going on. Um, don't try to do this exercise when you're with friends or with family. <laughs> it's, it's not in any way to withdraw or to be alienated. It's to bring us into closer intimacy with ourselves and with everyone. It has to do very much with intimacy. So not at all to think of the practice as separating. It's, it's the very opposite. It's unifying. You'll notice when you go outside that there'll be a book list and um, it can be helpful to read about the practice for inspiration. Um, you'll, there'll also be a list of tapes and it can be helpful to listen to tapes from time to time. And it is helpful to sit with others. Um, there is a list of sitting groups out there. If you can tune in to a sitting group or to a center, it's very helpful once a week to sit with other people. If you can just get that organized yourself, um, to sit once a week for an hour with others, it's quite strengthening, it's quite helpful. And it can keep the practice going, it can keep the practice moving in a way that can be difficult to do by yourself. If you have to do it alone, that happens too and it's fine. It's just, just the way things are. But if you can get a group going or join a group once a week, um, it is a very helpful thing to do. <clears throat> okay, why don't we end with a bit of metta meditation. Um, come into a very comfortable, I mean it, posture. <laughs> And allow the eyes to close. The body very relaxed, very much at ease. And by beginning by sending metta, which means loving kindness to yourself, using the phrases, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering. One phrase at a time, from beginning to end, mindful of each phrase. No need to hurry the phrases.
very soft. May I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I be free from suffering. forgiving yourself for anything that needs to be forgiven. If there's been anyone on this retreat that you've harbored any feelings of conflict towards, let this be a time of letting go forgiving yourself for the feelings, forgiving the other. And letting go. extending the metta to include everyone here, everyone in this room, everyone in this building, with a sense of gratefulness, all of us having supported one another during this retreat, mostly by our presence. May we be peaceful, may we be happy, may we be free from suffering. Aware of the bond that's underneath the various personalities and histories that we all have the bond of being on the path together. 
and expanding the metta to include everyone, all beings everywhere, big and small, (coughs) healthy and sick, young and old, all beings, without judgment, without discrimination. Beings we think are happy, beings we think are unhappy, babies, May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings live with ease. May all beings live with comfort. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings live with wisdom and with compassion. Just to end with something by Ajahn Chah. It's called Let the Tree Grow. The Buddha taught that with things that come about of their own, once you have done your work, you can leave the results to nature, to the power of your accumulated karma. Yet your exertion of effort should not cease. Whether the fruit of wisdom comes quickly or slowly, you cannot force it, just as you cannot force the growth of a tree you have planted. The tree has its own pace. Your job is to dig a hole, water and fertilize it, and protect it from insects. That much is your affair, a matter of faith. But the way the tree grows is up to the tree. If you practice like this, you can be sure all will be well, and your plant will grow. Thus, you must understand the difference between your work and the plant's work. Leave the plant's business to the plant, and be responsible for your own. If the mind does not know what it needs to do, it will try to force the plant to grow and flower and give fruit in one day. This is wrong view, a major cause of suffering. Just practice in the right direction and leave the rest to your karma. Then, whether it takes one or 100 or 1,000 lifetimes, your practice will be at peace.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.